0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, and I am your host, and I am in New York City and Washington, D.C. We have David Sanger of The New York Times, who has just finished his lunch and so should be fully energized or ready for a nap. <laughs> uh, we,
1: we have here
0: uh, also in first, Washington. First of all, I'm
1: always ready for a nap, and yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have to wait for lunch for that. Yeah.
0: yeah, me too. Someday we'll just do a pod where it's all of us napping. Uh, then we have also Rosa Brooks, who is in Washington, D.C., and uh, Ed Luce, who is apparently, according to the latest information I have, uh, uh, in a cloud of vape, you know, in, in,
2: a, in a halo of. It's not really a cloud. It's, it's, a, it's a thin mist of, of vape. Um, oh. And it's it's very good because it's better than cigarettes, which is what um, it is um, replacing.
0: Yes, and as right before we signed on, the first words I heard were from <laughs> Corey Shock in London, saying, "Well, Ed, I'm all for anything that will kill you slowly.
2: I'm not sure what that." Is <laughs> she meant less rapidly than the alternative. She meant exactly. Un-
3: I I did not mean it tortured by Comanche, kind of slow. I meant it, please stay with us in this life for as long as possible, you're precious.
1: Well, all uh, I David, I had a different is. reaction. I, my view was that the president is half right and the FT has always been full of vape news. Ooh, oh, that
4: was terrible. <laughs> and I was just gonna say that now Now you're you can be cool with the teenagers.
2: And, and your mother
4: and my mother, right. You have yeah, my and also mom and-
0: as far as I'm concerned, it'll be very cool with the sort of East European bureaucrats that I see, you know, at various events who have adopted vaping as kind of <laughs> as as they have a tendency to do, which is to embrace American trends that they really should avoid, that Americans are trying to avoid.
2: So, so here I am trying to do a good thing. Corey wants me to die slowly. You're accusing me of being an all band fascist um, and I can't remember. David's implying that you know vaping is uh, uh, fake news. I, I don't know. You know I, I'm just, just doing a good thing. I wasn't implying it. I was just I'm just, just doing it. a good yeah. thing.
3: <laughs> well, you give him credit for subtlety. He does not merit at loose.
0: Yes, yeah, that's true. Subtlety has never been David's (laughs) Um, go-to. Well, look, you know, we we start another week here in the United States, and and there's so many different directions to go for news. I'll I'll go for a little local news, get your perspective on it, and then we'll go out and get a little more of the international news um, of varying sophisticated types. But I I was kind of amused to um, read, uh, Rosa, that – Uh, Roger Stone was complaining today that the FBI, the U.S. government used more force to take him than they had used to take Osama bin Laden. Uh, (laughs)
4: There's some truth to this. (laughs) But everybody knows that Roger Stone is one very scary guy.
0: Yeah, well, he was also very unhappy that the FBI terrorized his dogs.
4: Which... Yeah, I would be unhappy. It's, I'm I'm actually a little sympathetic to Roger Stone on this point. I mean, no, no question about it. The the FBI seems to have gone you know full SWAT on Roger Stone. Uh, I mean, typically in a in a situation like this with with so-called white-collar criminals, uh, there's usually some agreement reached with the person's lawyer that allows them to surrender, uh, you know, come to court come to the, be booked in um, on their own, you know, at a mutually agreed upon time. Um, and the, in Roger Stone's case, uh, it it sounds like the FBI, you know, had a unbelievably high number of heavily armed people and, you know, busted in pre-dawn, uh, which, which is very unusual. I mean, th- that usually, I mean, th- there could be things going on here that we don't know, um, I mean, that typically happens either when there's a reason to believe that the person they're trying to arrest is is armed, dangerous, and quite possibly going to come out shooting if you try to arrest them, or when you think that if they have foreknowledge at the time of the arrest, they're likely to destroy vital evidence. And it is totally possible that that Mullard's team had information that made them believe that one of these things was a real possibility. So I don't know. But I will say that, uh, you know, that level of force to arrest a guy who no question about it is a is an utter sleeve ball and always has been. But who, as far as we know, has never presented a, a, a you know severe physical threat to anybody, does seem like does seem like total overkill. So I'm a little baffled by it.
1: Yeah, worse yet, they didn't even leave the guy time to put on his spats and his pinstripes.
4: That's right. He had to go out in public wearing a polo shirt that was that was, you know, not long enough. So when he gave his little Nixonian peace sign, victory sign salute, his his not so attractive tummy was on display. That that's Yet One that is more degrading. visual. I, I know. Need. I'm so sorry, Corey, but it's true. It happened, it was out there, you cannot unsee it.
0: Well, yeah, and when also we can't unsee the countless images of his bare back with the Nixon tattoo on it.
4: <laughs> All right. And, it was like, "Oh, yuck."
0: And his cascading elderly flesh beneath that.
4: Oh, David, please. Well, uh, just that, uh, this just reminds me of other no tattoos hey, in the house. Guys, David. one
1: day Rothkoff's going to show us his tattoo tattoo of Herbert Hoover, and you can be really <laughs> impressed. <laughs> so, yeah, you, th- you think
0: it's Herbert Hoover. It actually started as a tattoo of you, but as I have decayed.
4: Uh-huh. And now resembles. And now resemble. looks
0: more like <laughs> Herbert Hoover, on, on his way well, to becoming it, Jabba the Hutt.
3: In general, no, remember, you mean Taft. It's Taft. He's on his way
4: to. Remember Taft. that. R- remember. Rem- Remember, who was it? Uh, uh, Schultz, who, was, who had the tattoo of the Princeton Tiger, reportedly. And just has, like, it. These are, has, has it? Has it? Has it, I suppose. We you is David,
0: you say that with such authority.
4: As if you've seen it recently. But yeah. again, I just don't want to know about the, the invisible tattoos on anybody, basically. Agreed.
0: <laughs> okay, well, Corey, you're a, you're a national security specialist. Although I
4: might get a tattoo of Mueller, maybe on my ankle or something. Yeah, no, I
0: think we should all do that. Um, if things turn out right, we should take have a pact. But, Corey, uh, you know, as a national security specialist, I don't seem to recall that there were any Blackhawk helicopters involved in taking Roger Stone or any Navy SEAL teams. So this seems to me to be a little lighter touch than we had with bin Laden. <laughs>
1: Also, you may recall they killed bin Laden in the course of that operation. <laughs>
4: yeah. There's also that,
1: right? It's a bit, a bit. A bit Someone
4: is it. not dead yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it caused some consternation to, for, for the people who are just like, all right, end this damn thing already. That he was not, you know, uh, indicted for actual collusion. Um, or conspiracy, which would be the, the crime, um, and that it was all for lying. And now there's this big debate, are there going to be superseding charges, or is this all there is, and and so forth. And it was extremely anticlimactic and 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 disappointing, wasn't it, Ed? Have any feelings about Roger Stone, Ed? <laughs>
2: I have deep, deep feelings about Roger Stone. I believe he's the Prince of Darkness. Um, I, you know, I've met him a few times. I did a a lunch with the FT with him, which is this long interview you do over lunch that you record shortly before the 2016 election um, uh, in which he laid out all the sort of... uh, ghastly, dystopian things that would happen if Hillary Clinton won, um, which included uh, Muslims, um, you know, running roughshod across America and riots in the streets, uh, rigged elections and so forth. So clearly even he wasn't expecting Trump to win because they were still very much on that narrative that the election was going to be rigged. Um, I, I didn't even have a proverbial shower after this lunch. I had a real one. Um, because I, I don't think I've met, you know, somebody quite that malevolent, that unashamedly and undisguisedly malevolent, um, you know, uh, at least very often in my career as a journalist. Um, uh, and so, I, you know, I couldn't help feeling a little bit of schadenfreude when he was arrested on Friday. But I do agree with Rose's, um, you know, uh um, definition of overkill that this was full sWAT and it, one can 't believe that whatever it was seventeen <laughs> armored personnel carriers or something almost that bad on his front lawn and you know um, people um, people in his back garden in case he tried to make an exit by the water i can 't believe that was remotely necessary, um, and it does rather fuel. Uh, Roger Stone's narrative, you know, that he's that he's um, sharing with anybody who will ask, um, that you know, that the deep state's out to get it, which is which I don't think is true, but it it just gives him the visuals to fuel that alternative narrative.
0: Um, well, uh, I didn't know that you and Roger were so close, um, and had shared a meal together and everything, and I find that a little creepy, uh, but. Uh, Corey, you know, in the vein of seeking optimism wherever you can find it, uh, one of the other developments that's taken place in this regard that uh, may follow up on some of our more recent discussions, in which we sort of see perhaps some kind of turning point in all of this, is that we had the strange phenomenon today in the Senate of a Democrat, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, and a Republican uh senator chuck grassley who is not somebody you think of as kind of um, taking the side of truth and justice anytime recently uh, proposed something called the special counsel transparency act which would require the special counsel to submit a report to congress and the public at the conclusion of its investigation and i'm just wondering is this a source of optimism for you <laughs>
3: As you have rightly surmised, David, uh, I'm adjusting the tiara of optimism as we speak, uh, and I take it that uh, the introduction in the Senate of something requiring a public accounting from the special counsel is intended as a protection in case the attorney general nominee is confirmed and seeks to close down the investigation. I also think it's probably not unrelated to Roger Stone's arrest. Uh, And maybe even to the suggestion, uh, weird kind of convoluted suggestion by Roger Stone, that he might cooperate with the Mueller investigation, um, which, which may cause the president to try and close it down. (laughs)
1: <laughs> hey, hey, David, could I um, step in on the Roger Stone issues? I wouldn't want to go, you know, interrupt. Um, have you had uh, any
0: intimate tete-a-tetes with Roger Stone? I, I, I as have you not. Have...
1: He has never shown me his tattoos. Although, by the way,
0: it. I want to say something. The, the news of like a week ago, there was like, you know, there was a, a, a an addendum to the Helsinki story, it seems to me, where Trump calls you from an airplane and tries to explain that everything was good there. How did we miss this? I mean, I
1: don't know how you missed it, David, because you said you read my book. And there's a page and a half in the book describing the phone call.
0: Wait a minute. I was supposed to read every page of the
1: book? Like the words and the verbs (laughs) and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the whole phone call was described at some length in the book. And I've actually written about it a few times in the Times. And then we we put it again into a story in the Times. And it, it shows you that great Washington trick that it's all about timing. It's not what you've said before. I've described this conversation before. I think I probably even described it on, on um, Deep State Radio. But uh, but yes, the Trump conversation after his first meeting, it wasn't Helsinki. It was the meeting in um, in Hamburg. And this is when he called and said that President Putin had explained to him that the Russians were so good at cyber that they never would have been caught had they been the ones doing it. So clearly they weren't the ones doing it. And since I know stuff about cyber, clearly I must agree with that. And um, the implication was, why don't you just go out and write that the Russians had nothing to do with it? I I didn't do that.
0: Yeah, no, I'm surprised he thought you were such an easy touch. Well, anyway, I just noted that, 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 that that had sort of caught a little bit of Yes, Um, Viral viral fire last. It it
1: just it just proves that people don't read books. You know, they only read articles. I don't know what proves. But anyway, there you go. It's all on the book. But I was going to say something about about um, uh, our good friend, uh, Mr. Stone. Um, I actually think he's going to end up being sort of a bit player in this, that when you read the um, uh, when you read the indictment, there's one paragraph in it that just jumps out at you. For what it says, for what it doesn't say, and for the fact that it's in the passive voice, which is very rare in uh, indictments in general, but Mueller's in particular. And what it essentially says is: Are you do at the New
0: York Times have a group of people that sit there and diagram indictments and do a literary analysis we, of we them do, like that?
1: We do. We do. Do you did you notice the big graphic over the that's, over the weekend? That's called the
3: practice of journalism.
1: Yes, it is. Um, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to sound snarky. <laughs> change of policy. Uh, anyway, um, the <laughs> change of
0: policy. It sounds like <laughs> sounds like the result of a lobotomy. But go on.
1: So um, the paragraph said that somebody in the campaign, who the who Mueller did not name, called somebody else in the campaign, who Mueller did not name and ask that person to call Mr. Stone and find out if WikiLeaks was in fact about to release another tranche of embarrassing emails. And if so, what did they say? Why was that important? Clearly, Mueller knows who character A and character B are in that, right? We know that they are in the campaign, as the indictment says. We don't know who they are. And depending on what that conversation was like, was it let's get some information or let's coordinate the timing would tell you whether or not there's a possibility of a conspiracy
2: charge that, in, that involves somebody in the campaign. The, the word now, was directed, right? Um, somebody right. in the campaign directed a senior official in the campaign. And the way I read it um, was quite possibly Trump asking Steve Bannon to check in with Roger Stone.
1: That One theory is that it's Trump asking uh, Steve Baden. Another theory is that it involves uh, one of the Trump children. Uh, We don't know. Uh, We've had a lot of people look into this for a long time. But I think what that tells you in the end is that he's not terribly interested in um, Roger Stone, his pinstripes. He probably is interested in the lunch he had with Ed. Um, But... um, He's really interested in establishing this this linkage with the um, with the others in the campaign and the solving the question of whether there was a conspiracy there. And as I read the indictment, that was the most interesting thing in it, and the only thing that really changed the narrative.
0: Uh, well, it's certainly it's certainly been one of the elements of this thing that has gotten a lot of attention. Um, Well, in any event, we'll we'll, uh, um, undoubtedly pick that story up as we go forward. I do want to sort of cast our net a little wider now because, of course, we are a foreign policy and national security-related podcast. Um, And I want to turn it to the story that uh, that intrepid journalist Hugh Hewitt, uh, who is, as I said on Twitter the other day, the Rick Santorum of MSNBC, um, and you can do the math on that, Said would unite America, that Donald Trump has finally undertaken an initiative that will bring together America and no doubt distract us from what is going on um, with Mueller. Uh, and that is his role as um, the uh, champion of the Americas in helping to depose uh, Maduro in Venezuela. And so I thought, you know, we should talk a little bit about this. Uh, And because it's complicated. There's a lot of people who recognize Maduro is bad and has got to go, and there's a lot of people who are worried that the U.S. gets too deeply involved in all of this, it could become a big mess. Um, Rosa, where do you come out on all that?
4: Uh, On whether big messes are a good thing, or whether Venezuela is likely to be a big mess, or whether Donald Trump is the hero of Western civilization? Any any
0: of those would be would would be fine. Um, I, I, I or all of them.
4: Well, I'm opposed to big messes. Uh, I think the likelihood of Venezuela, uh, I shouldn't say becoming, remaining a big mess is very high. And Trump is not the hero of Western civilization. I mean, uh, I think it is nice that he woke up and noticed, for once, another country in some way that didn't consist entirely of encouraging extrajudicial executions or other totalitarian behavior. So, you know, <laughs> let's, let's praise him when he occasionally uh, makes some attempt, He's however- He's such a softy, yeah. <laughs> however, uh, belated, inadequate, muddle-headed, et cetera, uh, to do the right thing, um, is it likely to have any particular impact is uh, doubtful.
0: Okay. Corey, where do you come out on the current Venezuela um, moves?
3: So I think the Trump administration has actually done this pretty well. And the reason they have done it pretty well is that nobody in the White House or apparently the leadership of the State Department had anything to do with crafting a policy. They left it to diplomatic professionals and— And folks have been helping support uh, NGOs trying to get assistance into Colombia and other places. They have been working in concert with Latin American countries to make sure we're not too far out ahead of everybody else and that we have a policy that others can support, most others. The Mexican government is a notable outlier. But for the most part, other countries in Latin America are moving forward with us to put pressure on the on the Maduro government for their stolen election and their continued repression of the Venezuelan people, the step to um, to recognize the head of the National Assembly, I'm a little bit anxious about. Um, be, but the main constraint on regime change in Venezuela has been the fact that the uh, the Maduro thugs were reasonably good at throwing opposition leaders in jail early, and the opposition itself, therefore, had a difficult time uniting behind a candidate. But they found a pretty good one. My only worry is that the administration appointing Elliot Abrams Who knows a lot about these issues, cares a lot about democracy promotion, and was a major champion of it in the Bush White House, might um, send a worrisome signal to Latin American countries with long memories because of his involvement uh, in the proxy wars in Central America and the Reagan administration.
0: But you would agree he's a pretty quality guy, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. I consider him a friend, and I'm a big supporter of what he can contribute here.
0: Yeah, I think I. I mean, I know he's got a checkered past, and we could discuss that at some other time. But he's a very smart guy,
1: and he who certainly was banned from the Trump administration until this came along. Interestingly enough. Yeah, although so there
3: was they some, actually needed somebody who knew something somewhere about Latin America.
0: Well, actually, there was there, you know there was a story. I don't know if you guys remember it that was circulating that the reason Elliot Abrams was banned. Was that somebody in the White House confused him with Elliot Cohen, who had become very vocally anti-Trump earlier? Uh, had,
1: yeah, Elliot Cohen had led the anti-Trump letter. <laughs> That's
4: very that funny. Were, that yeah, sounds that were, <laughs> entirely plausible. <laughs> that sounds me. totally plausible.
0: <laughs> it's, no, it's true. It was like, well, okay, there's a Jewish guy named Elliot. Okay, well, let's just can not have I, any of those. We'll can have one other, Can I add one
4: other?
3: Can I have one other quick point? Yeah. Uh, which is that. Bureaucratically, this is kind of an interesting move because one of the things that the uh, Obama administration was criticized, both by conservatives and by good government types, a Venn diagram that overlaps in in a large part but not completely, uh, is that they appointed all sorts of special envoys in the State Department instead of letting the line officers, the assistant secretaries, Do these jobs, and now we have seen an enormous proliferation of them in the Trump administration. There's Steve Began for North Korea. There's Elliot Abrams for Venezuela. There's Zalmay Khalasad, and there's uh, for Afghanistan. And there's uh, Jeffrey
2: Jeffries. Thank you, Jim Jeffries. And Brian Brian Hook for Iran. That's right. I can't wait for them to appoint Corey Sharkey.
0: I think I, Corey Shockey as the special envoy for NATO would be.
1: <laughs> there, there are so many of them at this point, actually, that I asked somebody at the State Department the other day, somewhat sort of, you know, looking for an official answer, um, whether or not they had consciously decided to go replicate the structure that John Kerry had put in. Or whether they just sort of stumbled into replicating the structure that John Kerry had put in. David! (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm still waiting for my answer on that. Um,
3: By the way, I I may not be the biggest John Kerry fan in the world, but his alfalfa dinner routine was fabulous.
1: Uh, I I haven't seen it yet because, you know, we don't go to these elite dinners. Do you, Corey?
4: (laughs) No. I just want to know who you think the biggest John Kerry fan in the world is. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's easy. John Kerry. John Kerry.
4: All right.
0: right, Ed, from your from your cloud of vape, do, do you have a perspective on Venezuela that you would like to share with us?
2: Um, I am like everyone else interested in what why why Trump is uh, such a freedom lover in Venezuela um, compared to any other country in the world. The only three countries he seems to really care about, you know, the traditional democracy, human rights, freedom agenda are Venezuela, Cuba and Iran. You know, they 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 sort of inhabit a separate category. For the rest of the world, he doesn't care about um, Myanmar. He doesn't care about Northwest China, anywhere in Sub-Saharan Africa, Syria. Um, but these three countries he cares about: Cuba is sort of kind of more explainable, as is Iran, Venezuela. You know, I think the fact that um, the rich portion of Venezuelan ex- exiles—that—that ten percent that of Venezuela's population um uh, that is wealthy tend to to a large degree have ended up in florida some of whom are apparently members of mar-a-lago and in places like doral and elsewhere have rubbed shoulders um with trump um must surely to the alter his perspective or color his perspective a little bit about venezuela it is clearly a big has been uh, has become a declining gas station for the united states um uh, if he wanted to seize venezuelan assets Petavessa refineries and so forth you know they're there in louisiana much easier to do than seize other countries assets um or you know take over syrian or iraqi oil fields um uh, so there is that you know there is the fact that you know if if, if this is a sort of monroe doctrine trump style that it's in our hemisphere, therefore I should be interested if that explains it. It doesn't explain why he doesn't give much of a damn about the lack of freedom in Honduras or Guatemala. Um, for example where people aren't just leaving for economic reasons they're leaving because um, there are quite um, quite brutal sort of paramilitaries operating there um, you know some of the, some of them have been trained by the Americans some of whom haven't but you know who clearly aren't model um, uh, democratic um, human rights respecting um, countries so I, I tend to think there is there, there are special reasons for Venezuela Um for his freedom-loving exception in Venezuela that have nothing to do with freedom. That not notwithstanding, um, you, you know, you shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth. And if he is on the right side of things for whatever reason in Venezuela, and clearly Maduro is a thug um, and ought to be a pariah, then, you know, perhaps we shouldn't second guess it too much. I, I, I just, you know, wonder A, about Trump's motivations and B, about His ability, even with the advice of people like Elliot Abrams, um, his ability to manage what is going to be a very uncertain um, and quite fraught um, process that could potentially, um, you know, turn into full scale shooting between the opposition and Maduro's um, people. Um, Trump's ability to handle that, you know, is something I would I would be very, very dubious about.
0: Um, David. Wag the dog, wag the dog, wag the dog. Is it, isn't there a wag the dog component of this, keeping up with our theme of dogs?
1: So uh, there could be some wag the dog just because this all happened at a time that we were all focused on you know, uh, Roger Stone and, and so forth and so on. But I also think that it's more, more likely that um, this was just the timing that came from when everything began to fall apart for Maduro. And I I agree with with Corey and Ed and Rosa that I think the administration deserves some credit. They have handled it right. Their risks here are both um, history and inconsistency. So the history risk is obvious. We've done a lot of interference in Latin America before, and it's usually um, not worked out well. In fact, it's almost uniformly worked out poorly.
2: Um,
1: But I think the second big risk here is that since they are doing this so differently than the way they handled um, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, other places like that, that it's going to get harder and harder to explain. Now, they are not the first administration to be highly inconsistent on human rights issues. Jimmy Carter was, Barack Obama was, Bill Clinton certainly was when it came to China. So there are lots and lots of examples we have here. Um, And consistency can get you into a lot of trouble in foreign policy as well. Uh, But in this particular case, it would be nice if the president sort of stepped out and explained first what he's trying to do. Second, how he doesn't want to take the lead here, but wants to support events that are going on on the ground. And thirdly, if he would distinguish this from cases like Egypt and um, Saudi Arabia, but those aren't the only ones where he has chosen to go the other route. If he could just explain to us what our what our national interests are here.
0: Okay, look, I'm going to go against the trend here. I've been involved with Venezuela stuff for better part of 25 years, and d- could not we possibly
1: blame for this. Yeah, yeah,
0: and could not possibly be more disgusted by political developments in a country than I am with first Chavez and then Maduro. Um, and certainly we should be getting rid of Maduro, and certainly it's better the U.S. is on the side of that than not. Um, but it does look a lot like there was no plan here, and I think the timing is a little suspect. But, Rosa, one of the other things that I think is potentially a problem um, is, of course, that you know there's a team of Russian mercenaries that have been sent to Venezuela to help protect Maduro, that the Venezuelan military is currently seeking to protect Maduro, um, and that there are plenty of indications that if push comes to shove, the kind of diplomatic fast one that everybody wants us to pull, where we just say, no, he's the president, and move on, is not gonna happen that smoothly, and that could result in uh, fighting, chaos, and also, not inconsequentially, Possibly large numbers of people wanting to come to the United States, um, which the president has some discomfort. They can't
4: come because we're building a goddamn wall by magic with the power of thought.
0: Yes, an invisible wall, maybe like those stealth planes. No one will know it's there, but it will be. We will know. We will know. Um, But does it worry you at all that, (laughs) you know, or, or, or do you have a view? I mean, it seems like Donald Trump. You know, maybe he's just become a good guy overnight, and he hates dictators, and he's willing to stand up to Vladimir Putin, who is on the other side of this. Or maybe something else is going on.
4: <laughs> David, I, I, I can't, I can't even begin to untangle this. Um, I partly because you know you you have worked on Venezuela for a long time. I don't feel like I have a deep enough understanding to really to really say. I, I find the whole thing very weird. Um, I can't figure out if this is a sort of accidental sort of kinda good thing, which you know, it, along with our broken clock being right occasionally. Uh, theory, um, you know, maybe even Donald Trump occasionally wakes up and accidentally does does something semi good, even if it's muddle headed. Um, I, I don't know whether to to think it's that or to think it's some sort of uh, political theater designed to distract us from all of the other things plaguing him or in, in particular uh, an effort to look like he's not in fact a Putin puppet. I don't know whether it's utterly dangerous. So I, 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 the plot is thickening and I have no idea what to make of it.
3: Can I weigh in on this subject of uh, Russians there and and the likelihood of a military coup?
0: Uh, please, weigh in on it. And while you're <laughs> at it, why don't you weigh in on whether you think it would be a good idea for the United States to actually uh, use military force on no, behalf it of would democracy? Absolutely
3: not be. Um, that that uh, one seems like an easy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that... Um, you know, what does that look like? Does it look like uh, air assault into Venezuela and then uh, protecting the population from its own military whose uh, the senior military has clearly been bought off? But the rank and file, they're so worried about coup attempts, uh, including one only about 20. Twenty-some uh, military folks participated in right outside of the capital in Caracas a couple of days. They tortured those guys. They've got Cuban intelligence operatives spread throughout the military to test for loyalty. Um, so Maduro may be unfit to be a president, but he's no slouch at the repressiveness of an authoritarian society. He is actually largely, in my judgment, um, and in the judgment of a couple of terrific sharpshooters from the Double I Double S, Amanda Lepo and Antonio Sampaio, who just did a piece on this, um, that that the likelihood of the Venezuelan military being in a position to turn on Maduro, it looks like what the what the newly announced head of the of the uh, presidential excuse me of the parliamentary assembly wants to do is just persuade the military not to get involved and thereby hope that civic society can push it forward. So if that's the strategy of the ascendant democratic movement, us moving in with military force will delegitimize them domestically. In addition to which, um, I would hate to come up with a war plan for the invasion, conquest, Venezuela, on short notice. The third thing, though, is that the Russians... uh, So when Russia could no longer afford to bankroll Cuba after 1991, the Venezuelans stepped in. And so there's a Russian-Cuban-Venezuelan partnership that undergirds this. Uh, But the most interesting point that I learned in the last couple of days is that while the Chinese loaned something like $5 billion that they're unlikely to ever see back from the government of Venezuela, the Russians were smart enough to demand 49.9% of the voting board on the National Petroleum Company. And one of the things that the new head of the National Assembly has moved to do is replace the board of the petroleum company. So the Russians could be willing to use military force to protect a $17 billion investment.
0: Mm. Um, Ed, we only have a couple of minutes left here. Um, I know you're not able to join us for the second podcast of the week, I'm told, anyway. Um, but uh, uh, let's go back to Hugh Hewitt's assertion that this move by President Trump in Venezuela will unite the American people. And I would just like you to evaluate the likelihood of that happening.
2: Uh, No, I mean, I I think if it it doesn't turn kinetic in terms of, you know, some kind of American military involvement, it's not going to particularly interest the American people, let alone unite them. So, you know, it would fail on that score. And if it did um, turn kinetic and the military option that Trump has several times now mentioned, not not just in the last two, three days, but, um, you know, in his first year in office, he talked about military options on Venezuela, um, then I think it would be uh, absolutely calculated to disunite and not just the American people, but his own base. you Know his he, he's, he's he, he very much ignited his base by saying we don't want to get involved in foreign wars and do gooding and um uh and and adventures um overseas, we don't want American boots on the ground. And one of his great promises, which has sort of caught him in several binds in the Middle East, is to withdraw um American troops. So if he's suddenly um you know embarking on a war of choice. I couldn't think of anything more calculated to disunite America. There's already been... um you know, a strong, I, I would argue inadvisable um, letter by a, a bunch of people on the left, including some democratic congressmen, um, saying that Trump should keep out of Venezuela's business and shouldn't even have, um, you know, issued this ultimatum to Maduro and and um, recognized the alternative president. Um, so the left would be opposed to it too. Um, I think once again, Hugh Hewitt has demonstrated that You know, far from being a really savvy conservative commentator, he's actually pretty stupid. I'm sorry to be sort of ad hominem about it, but Hugh Hewitt has again and again just proved to be completely tone deaf.
0: (laughs) Well, Ed, that's a very strong statement. I'm not sure what is in your little vape machine there, but. um...
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's an angry surge of nicotine just, just sort of puffed out of it. Well,
1: it's coffee-flavored, so it's co- okay. Yeah, right.
2: Because
0: <laughs> what isn't better than taking your nicotine and adding caffeine to it? Um, it's like
4: when, when
0: when methamphetamines are not ad- available, it's the next best thing. um <laughs> I I, I suppose. Uh, Well, thank you for that, Ed, and thank you for that, Corey, and thank you for that, David, and thank you for that, Rosa, and thank you for that, everybody out there in deep state land for listening to this first episode of This Week on Deep State Radio. If you want more exciting stuff, we've got great things coming this week. A really special guest on Washington for Beautiful People, a really good uh, episode of National Uh, Security Magazine, last week's John McLaughlin episode, uh, I I think was one of our best ever, really got a lot of listening. I strongly encourage you to go and listen to the conversation I had with John McLaughlin Um, and a lot of good things coming at the site. So this would be a really, really good week to go to deepstateradionetwork.com, click on the ways that you can become a member. It doesn't cost that much, less than vaping. Uh, and is less um, annoying to the people around you than big clouds of smoke. Um, and um, uh, we we would hope that you would uh, do that. Join us and help support this rapidly growing uh, and exciting enterprise. Uh, so thanks to everybody, and we'll join you again real soon. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media.